I'm going to pray this morning, and then we will take a look at the message that we have uh, today. Join me in prayer. Lord God, I thank you so much for today. Thank you for the beauty of creation that we see. Just as I was driving down here today, I was just struck again by the beauty of creation. I saw the sun shining through a, a patch of clouds that had an opening, and it was beautiful. God, you did that. You reveal yourself to us in creation, but you also reveal yourself to us through your word, through scripture. I'm thankful that we have the ability to freely gather like this to study your word. Lord God, I pray that you would allow my words right now to speak to each of us here, to meet us where we are at, to communicate in a way that we need. And God, I don't know everyone where they're at or what they're going through, but you do. And so, God, you are able in this moment, in a very real way, able by your spirit to come and speak. God, I pray that you would do that right now. In the name of Jesus, I ask these things. Amen. Well, we have been going through the book of Ephesians. We're just a few weeks in here to Ephesians. Today we're going to look at a passage of scripture, Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. And I just want to tell you from the get-go that this is, if you have background in church, this is a passage of scripture that you are familiar with. I don't want, just because you know this, I, I don't want you to miss this. I really hope that you are able to engage in this in a new way. Um, these, are, these are words which are extremely important. They're words that, um, that, that, that we need. And uh, is that coming here? For, all right, thank you. Well, thank you very much. Get some water. Thank you, Mike. I'll, I'll take a little sip here. And I'll put that there in case it still is needed. These are words that we... Okay, so I grew up in the church, and uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are you saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not a work so that no one can boast. See, there it is. I just, just quoted it. You know, like, it's so easy for me just to even... There's the verse, you know, and we just don't even think about it a whole lot. Uh, we get so accustomed to hearing it. I want you to allow God to speak to you this morning, whether you've been saved for years or whether this is all brand new to you, I want you to allow God to speak to you this morning. I believe that as Christians, sometimes we hear this, overemphasize the wrath of God. So it might look like this if we were to put it on a slide. There's the wrath of God, and then there's grace. But it's just, grace is kind of downplayed, but wrath of God. I don't know about you, but I actually know a few um, believers, not a lot, I know a few believers, who whenever we talk theology, they are really inclined to talk a lot about the wrath of God. And, And my thought is, Man, if you're going to champion something, why don't you champion the grace of God? 
And, and not so much the wrath of God. They're, they're just like, the wrath of God. Well, do you understand the wrath of God? Okay, that's, that's one side of this. I think sometimes as Christians, we could really hugely play into the wrath of God and, and, and really make light of the grace of God. Sometimes, though, we can do this as Christians. We can really, it's all about the grace of God. And, and we really kind of make small the wrath of God. I don't really want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about the wrath of God. This is the year 2020. Come on. We don't talk about a God who is, has wrath. He's a loving, gracious, compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love. Yes, yes, and yes. But we, we don't want to talk about the wrath of God. Um, here's something I see illustrated here as well. Um, this is probably actually a growing number of believers that I see. Well, let's talk about the grace of God, and that's it. Like, we don't talk about the wrath of God at all. So it's not even just simply us making little of the wrath of God. It's us ignoring the wrath of God. We don't even talk about the wrath of God. Well, this morning, my desire is, is really to allow Scripture to speak. As a pastor, that's the best that I can offer for you. Is allow not my words but allow God's word to speak. And hear what he has to say. Before I go there, a, a story. This is my daughter and my wife. This was about 2006. Um, a little cutie there, isn't she? Well, they both are. Uh, I asked Kelsey this last week, can you find a picture about in 2006 of you and Livia. So Kelsey used to scrapbook back when she used to have a lot more time. Long gone. Does not scrapbook anymore. No time for that. That doesn't happen. Well, she sent me this picture. I recall um, I wasn't actually home. I was at work on this particular day. Kelsey was overseeing two kids, taking care of two little kids, Trenton and Livia, Trenton was age four at the time. Livia was age two at the time, like this. And um, Kelsey was, was doing some dishes in the kitchen. And while she's doing dishes, she was, you know, like a lot of exhausted mothers at that age, with that age bracket, like, just trying to stop, just trying to breathe, you know, doing some dishes. And then she thought, wow, it is so nice that it's quiet right now. And then she thought to herself, gasp, it's quiet right now. This can't be good, right? I mean, you, you, you know exactly what's going on here. Okay, if it's quiet, this is not good. I got a two-year-old and a four-year-old. They're never quiet unless they're in trouble, okay? And so she, she dries her hands off and goes out to the living room, and she finds Livia, little beautiful Livia right there, standing by our pretty new couch, pretty new couch that we had and um, that we had worked pretty hard to save money for. You know, I was a youth pastor, not making a lot of money, working hard to buy this couch, had a new couch, brand new couch. And, and Kelsey comes out there and she sees Livia next to the couch and the couch has lipstick all over, all over the couch. And, and 
Kelsey was, okay, she goes up to, to Livia and she just kind of gets down on her level. Livia, I need to ask you a question. Did you put mommy's lipstick all over the couch? And Livia, as, as beautifully as she could respond, ah, 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 no. And Kelsey just, just looked at her, Livia. Now, now, I need to just paint a little bit more of this picture here for you to help you out here understand this. Not only is Livia standing by the couch, which has, has lipstick all over it, Livia is standing there with lipstick in her hand. All right? Okay, she, she's got the lipstick in her hand. And Kelsey just gets down low again and says, Livia, did you put mommy's lipstick on the couch? And she just as innocent as she could, thought about it, and then, uh-uh, uh-uh. Let me just paint a little bit more of this, of this picture here. Not only is Livia standing by the couch, not only does the couch have lipstick all over it, not only is Livia standing there with the lipstick in her hand, caught you dead in the act, not only that, Livia's face is covered in lipstick. <laughs> Kelsey goes to her one last time. Livia, I want you to speak honestly with mommy when I ask you a question. Did you put lipstick on mommy's new couch? To which she kind of thought about it, head goes down, and then she just responded, Aha! I did. I think that people understand this. We can have both anger. That's my new couch. And love together. We can experience both of these emotions together. I want to take you to a passage of scripture this morning where it describes God's wrath, but it also describes God's grace. And in order for us to understand the grace of God, it is helpful if we understand the wrath of God first. So if you have your Bible, take it and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10. And um, if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the pew rack in front of you. You are welcome to follow along there. I'm going to be on page 827 if you use that one. And this morning, I've invited KJ. Come on up, KJ. I've invited KJ to come up here and to read this passage of Scripture this morning for us. This is KJ. KJ is one of our seniors here at the youth group. I appreciate KJ. KJ, thank you for reading this passage of Scripture. Um, so go ahead and let's follow along with KJ. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. As for you, we you go. were dead in your transgressions and sins 
in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now in, at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following the desires of thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms of in Jesus Christ, in order that in coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not by works so that you can not by works so that no one can boast. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. KJ, thank you very much for reading that. Okay, I want you to think with me this morning and just kind of work back through these, these words here. And I want you to hear a few things. Take, take note of some things that are being spoken of in this passage. Do you catch how we are described from the get-go? As for you, okay, now let's just think about this. Who's the you? The you is, is the recipient of this letter, okay? So as, as for you, um, believers who are living in the Ephesus area. As for you, you are dead, or you were dead. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. This is how you were. You were dead. Okay, now, if there's, if there's any part of us that thinks, oh, well, then I'm off the hook because I'm not the Ephesian believers. In verse 3, it says, all of us also lived among them at one time. Okay, this is true for a group of people. This is true for the recipient of this letter. But this isn't just true for them, all of us. We are all in this together. This is true of all of us. And, and how are we described? We are described as being dead. Have you, have you seen something dead before? Likely you have. When I was in Africa, I saw a frog which was very dead. A car ran over it, dead as a doornail. No life going to come from that little baby. It's, there's, there's just nothing there, okay? That's dead. There is, there is no ability to do anything on your own. That's how we were. We were dead in our sin. And, and what does this lead to? There's three things here. Do you catch it? That we followed. We followed, it says, first off, in verse 1 it says, we follow, no, sorry, in verse 2, we followed the way of this world. We followed the way of the, of the world. Why did we do that? Because we're dead. Because we have no ability to do anything else other than that. We just simply do that. We just naturally follow the way of this world. Remember about three or four weeks ago when I began this this series here going through Ephesians, I said that, that these believers were countercultural. You look at the, the, um, the society, the culture, 
during the time of Ephesus when this was written, they were very countercultural. But hear this, that was not always the case. <laughs> that is not always the case. They were, they were a product of their environment. They just simply lived however their environment conditioned them to live. If culture valued something, they valued it too. That's how they operated. So they were dead in their sin. And because they were dead in their sin, they followed the way of the world. They just naturally would follow the way of the world. It goes on and it says, not only following the way of the world, following the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Who is that? That's Satan. That is Satan. Naturally following Satan. Are you serious? I mean, like, we're not talking about, like, I, I think there would be a tendency of, we, we hear stuff like this, this is harsh. And if we equate this to our own selves, and I think that we have to because it says, and all of us are in this, all of us are like this. Hey, I'm no Satan worshiper. That's not me. No, but, but we are, in a, in a way, pawns of the enemy who, who just simply do as he, as he wants. I don't think that the enemy cares about, hey, I, my goal is to make everyone a, a Satan worshiper. No, just keep them from the truth. That's what the enemy longs for. I don't think the enemy cares how religious a person is. Just keep them from the truth. That's what the enemy cares about. And, and we followed culture. We followed the enemy, Satan, who is described in this case as the ruler of the kingdom of the air. I was looking this last week, a couple other ways that Satan is described in Scripture. The tempter, the evil one, the ruler of demons, father of lies, God of this age, angel of light, deceiver, devil, adversary, accuser. And the list actually can go on quite a bit. In this passage, Satan is referred to as the ruler of the kingdom of the air. And we... Because we are naturally dead in sin, we follow the ruler of the kingdom of the air. There's a third thing that we do here. Do you catch it? We follow me. Living to please my own evil desires, however I, whatever I want, gratifying my own evil desires. That's what I follow. Because I am naturally dead in sin, I naturally do this. Now, catch this, because this is important. It says, following its desires and thoughts, like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. 
Because we are dead in sin and because we naturally follow culture, the devil, and self, this puts us at a distance from God. It it makes us separated from God. And it makes us, as hard as it is for us to hear this, it makes us objects of his wrath. That's what scripture says. It makes us objects of his wrath. Pause here for a moment. Time out. Again, this flies in the face of culture in the USA today, doesn't it? Totally flies in the face of culture. Culture today, our society here, says this. People are basically good. Believe in yourself and you can do whatever you want. Just go to a graduation speech and you're going to hear this over and over again. By the way, I've heard a lot of graduation speeches and I've heard this over and over again. Believe in yourself and you can do whatever you want. People are basically good. This is what you call secular humanism. This is what shapes our culture today. We are being shaped by this. And church, we need to be on to this and understand that this actually can get very much infiltrated into the church. And we need to guard against this. People are basically good. Oh, really? People are basically good. Can you explain, secular humanist, can you explain rape? I would like to understand why that takes place. Secular humanist, would you explain to me child abuse? I would like to understand, if people are basically good, why this takes place. Secular humanist, would you explain to me violence, which takes place in our society? Would you explain war that takes place globally? If we are basically good, would you explain this to me? Because you don't have the answer. And though you don't like what scripture says, it tells us the answer. The answer is we are not basically good. We are by nature objects of God's wrath. We are dead to sin. We live to please ourselves. I am number one. I am my own God. Apart from Jesus, there isn't a whole lot of hope. I'm so glad this passage goes on. Because that is the worst of it. It gets so good here. But you know what? The problem is so many people in our world today never realize the rest of this. And if we don't understand the rest of this, we stay trapped as an object of God's wrath. I don't want that for you. I don't want you be an object of God's wrath. And I have wonderful news for you today. God does not want you to be an object of his wrath either. So we read on. Verse 4. So the NIV, which I'm using as I always do, says, but because of his great love. I, I like some other translations which translate it this way. But God. Two of the most beautiful words in Scripture. But God. 
Okay, in light of all this, yes. Don't ignore it. Don't sweep it under the rug. Don't try to intellectually just brush it aside. Understand it. Understand this is truth. And then receive the rest. But God. NIV again here, verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when, and I say, actually, I ask that as a question, when, when does God do this? When we were dead in transgressions, it's by grace that you are saved. Do you, do you see this here? Don't erase a line of scripture that you get uncomfortable with, this makes you an object of God's wrath. Understand that. But also understand this and hear this, church. We are not only objects of wrath, we are objects of his love. Do you see that? God who is rich in love. God who has great love and because he is rich in mercy makes us alive in Jesus. That is the beginning of good news. I want to hear from you this morning here. I'm actually going to give you an opportunity to to respond. In here it says... um, because God, because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy. How do you define mercy? This is where I want to hear from some of you. Sometimes we have like little, um, little statements that kind of create, creative statements that help us understand mercy. How do you define mercy? Does anyone have something that they can pass on? What's that, Doreen? Ask God in prayer for mercy. Excellent. Good. Good. Someone else. How, Stan, how would you define mercy? Okay, good. Not receiving what you deserve. Dennis, I think I saw your hand go up. Okay, good. Anyone else? Something creative. Yes, Steve. Did you, I'm not sure if you heard that. <clears throat> he forgives me when I put lipstick on the couch cushions. By the way, I was going to say this too. Rabbit trail here. Kelsey said, we were talking about this, reliving this this last week. She was like, why did I not just simply flip the couch cushions over? Because I had a four-year-old who put Sharpie marker on the other side. Okay? <laughs> I couldn't just do that. Okay? <laughs> okay, mercy... God is is willing to forgive you even when you put lipstick on the couch cushion. Whether we've put lipstick on the couch cushion or not, spiritually speaking, we have, haven't we? And God, um, he is willing to move towards us and offer forgiveness to us. By the way, I wasn't there, but I know my wife well enough to know that though there was a part of her, and I, I know this, when we hear wrath and when we hear anger, this is really hard for us. 
For some of us, this can be extremely hard. Why? Because all we can think of when we think of wrath is we think of uh, people who are um, emotionally abusive and who are, it's uncontrolled anger. I mean, they just come unglued. Let me just tell you something. That is not God. And if, if that is the example you have of wrath, that is not God. That is not how he operates. Though, he, though there is this wrath, which is hard for us to hear, you need to understand this. It is bathed in righteousness. That means it is a righteous wrath. That's hard for us to understand because a lot of times our anger is not always that. But I will go to bat for my wife and say that, that, that she responded in a way that was Olivia. Though this is hard... And though I am angered, yes, because there is lipstick on the couch, I love you. And let's work through this. And then they clean the couch for a few hours. Okay? Really quick before we move on, does anyone else have um, something to say? Yeah, Sharon. Yeah. Yes. So good. So good. Yes, Heidi, go ahead. Yes, we absolutely do not deserve Jesus. That's right. Okay. We do not deserve Jesus, yet in his mercy, we are able to receive Jesus. Um, This is not a technical definition, and it basically, I think that what you guys all said is exactly spot on. The way that I defined it here in my notes this morning is, is this. Uh, mercy is simply God withholding the punishment deserved. God withholds the punishment deserved. Do I deserve punishment? Yes, I do. Do you deserve punishment? Yes, you do. Why? Because we're dead in sin. Because we follow culture. Because we follow the enemy, the devil, Satan himself, his schemes. Because we follow self. This puts us in a position against God. But God is... Not only, we are not only objects of wrath, we are objects of his great love. Um, Let's read on. By the way, if our view is that we are basically good, if that's the view that we have, why in the world would we ever even need mercy? Lawbreakers are the ones who need mercy. People who transgress, people who sin, they're the ones. We're the ones. We're the ones who need mercy. Um, Look at verses 6 and 7. It says this, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Why? In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us. How? 
through Jesus Christ. That's how grace is expressed to us. Why does God do this? In part, why why does all of this take place that we're looking at? This is an evident, this is evidence of God's great grace. This is evidence that God is a gracious God. Yes, there is wrath. Don't ignore that. But there is great grace. There is grace far greater than all of the stuff that I deserve. That's the truth of it. Um, how, how do we define grace? If, if mercy is, is God withholding what I deserve, grace is God actually bestowing on me, moving towards me, moving towards you. God wants to bestow on you. Salvation. What's salvation? It's simply, it's simply, I have been reconciled to my creator. God who created me, God who created you. I am actually reconciled because this doesn't sound good. I am I am object of his wrath. I am dead in sin, but God is willing to move towards me. He reconciles us because of his great love, because of his mercy, and because of his grace. Grace is God moving towards me. He's bestowing me. He is blessing me. He is giving to me relationship with the Father. That's what God wants to do. How does he do that? He does this through Jesus. Verses 8 and 9 The verses that I quoted earlier, for it is by grace. It is by grace that you have been saved. How do you get saved? It's by grace. Through faith. This, not from yourself, it is a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. How does this happen? Tell you how it doesn't happen. It is not going to happen because you are so good. It's not going to happen because I am so good. We live in a very comparative society, don't we? We have a tendency to compare ourselves. Well, I'm not as bad as he is. I'm not as bad as she is. I mean, isn't God going to be gracious in that? Hey, I, I, I believe that Paul says flat out, no, that's not enough. Like, we are all in this together. This is true of all of us. So you want salvation? You want a right relationship with God, the Father? Comes through Jesus. It is through faith. What is faith? Faith is to believe. Don't don't make this harder than what uh, we have a tendency of doing in our culture today. We have a tendency to mystify this. Faith. Ooh. Uh, don't know about, I don't know if I have the right kind of faith. Faith is this, God, I believe you. God, I believe what you say. God, I can even be honest with you and I can tell you that this is hard for me. God, you know me, but God, I I trust you, I believe you, I believe what you're saying and I believe in your son who died on the cross for sin, for my sin, rose again three days later. God, that is, I choose to believe that. And if you believe that, that is faith. And that is what brings us into a right relationship with God. But, but don't get boggled down with, well, I hope I'm good enough because we're never going to be good enough. We are not good enough. 
It has nothing to do with how good you and I are. If it did, that is not grace. That would be justice. For by justice are you saved? No, no. For by grace are you saved. This happens through your faith. This does not have to do with how good you are. This is a gift of God. And man, isn't it a gift of God? Absolutely. Absolutely, it's a gift of God. Um, oh, I, sorry, I have to close here. Um, I should have been watching the clock better. Verse 10, for we are God's workmanship. You are God's masterpiece. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared when? In advance. God prepared this in advance for us to do. I, I take you back to chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, where before time began, God chose us. Guess what? God chose good works for you. God chose good works for you. This last week, we had four teens and um, Jennifer overseeing this who were out here. We had six children who came to our very first Bible club. These are good works that God prepared in advance before they were ever even born. God chose, hey, I want to do a work on Friday, January 31st at Kingwood Bible Church in the gymnasium. When I was writing this message, I was actually in the air at 30,000 feet, flying down to Fresno this last week. By the way, thank you for praying for me. And I was thinking about this, and as we came into Fresno, as I was landing, I got to verse 10. And I was just reminded it was God's way of kind of poking me and saying, Hey, by the way, Nate, this that you're doing, guess what? I prepared this for you before you ever even entered the scene. I prepared this for you before creation even took place. This is my doing. Now, my, my, my heart was actually, God, this is a privilege to actually be able to then respond to you in this manner. I get to respond to you in this way. Why? It's because of your grace. Because you are a gracious God... I want to respond to you in this way. Because you are gracious, my heart is actually inclined to respond to you. God, I, I wonder, what do you have? What good work do you have for me moving forward? And I know I need to close here, but I ask you that same question. What good work does God have for you? Because I believe that is the application to this. If God saves me by grace, if God saves you by grace, then understand that you're not just saved to look all pretty or handsome. You're saved to do something. God saves you for purpose. Guess what? Title slide here. Vibrant love for Jesus. Do you want your love for Jesus to grow? It grows when we understand the great grace of God. That's what makes our love for Jesus grow. If you ever feel as though you're 
faith gets stale, then go back to the basics. And this is the ABCs here, isn't it? I know that. I know that. But this is also God's word for us. Go back to the basics. And this is what stirs within us a vibrant love for Jesus. Lord God, I thank you. Thank you that your grace is great. Lord, I thank you. I, I, as I'm even preaching here this morning, I keep on thinking about the words of an older hymn that says, your grace is greater than all of my sin. I'm so grateful that, yes, while we are objects of wrath because of how we naturally focus on ourself or culture or the enemy, and we're dead to sin, yet you also pursue us with great love. And you offer to us grace and mercy. That's what makes the difference. I thank you so much for that. Lord, thank you for the privilege we have of being your kids. For the privilege we have to be your children. God, may our response be, here I am, ready to do your good work. May we respond in that way. In the name of Jesus we pray and ask this. Amen.